Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice. So welcome everyone. I'm Camilla Jansen. I'm a GP in New Forest in Hampshire and I'm talking to Richard Roop, who's GP, who works with Cancer Alliance. So welcome, Richard. Thank you for coming and talking to us today. Can you tell us a bit about Cancer Alliance and what it um, helps with? Yeah, so the Wessex Cancer Alliance uh, covers Dorset, Hampshire and the Isle of Wight. And it's basically there to lead and inspire both innovation and improvement in cancer care for all people within our patch. Uh, Cancer Alliances are there are a number across the whole country and it basically coordinates cancer care and delivery and deals with right from prevention right through to end of life care. Fantastic. And I think there's a very um, good website that has lots of patient and, and health professional links on. Is that right? That's absolutely right. Uh, WessexCancerAlliance.nhs.uk, a fantastic resource of information right through from what uh, the Alliance does and what it can provide both for clinicians, their teams, but also their patients. Uh, so, And lo- lots of patient inputs throughout uh, every work stream that we have. Lovely. So today we really wanted to cover the fit tests, what they are and who they um sh- what 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 the results mean can you tell us a bit about the fit tests yeah so quite interesting just to understand a little bit of how we've got to where we've got uh we'll have all been very familiar with the old guayac fob test uh which was fairly non-specific had quite a high threshold and has now been replaced by the fit test the main difference between them was the old test uh looked specifically for heme so if you had an, a nice rump steak the night before, uh, the beef heme would actually be detected and you would have a positive test. The fit test is very specific for human haemoglobin. So much more specific and much more helpful from that perspective. Uh, the other big difference is the FOB was binary. It was either positive or negative. But with a fit test, you actually get a number. Wonderful. And I think the m- number is different depending on whether you are using it as a screening test versus a symptomatic test. Can you tell us about that? Absolutely. And a really important message to understand. So the screening levels are different across the four nations, but in in England, it's set at 120. Uh, Interestingly, that's the old GWIAC test, the FOB, was probably the equivalent of 150. Um, but 120 is the new level, so it's actually more specific in the screening arena than the old test. But for symptomatic, uh, generally uh, under 10 is regarded as normal, so 10 is the threshold. Uh, interestingly, in the Portsmouth lab, they actually work as they can record it down to less than three. So in that patch, you get some results that are between three and 10 that as far as the referral pathways are concerned, it would still be regarded as a negative test. Lovely. And so that's really quite important that when you are doing a screening test, this is for asymptomatic people and you're looking for a level 10 times less than, sorry, 10 times more than if someone yeah. is symptomatic. So we're looking Abs- at less than 10 yeah. for symptomatic and 120 and above. Yeah, so really important that if you have a patient who presents to you with some symptoms and in discussion they say, well, I had my screening test a couple of months ago, that 
and that that is normal, that you shouldn't be reassured by that because it is a very different threshold. Uh, there are moves eventually to reduce the threshold as endoscopy capacity allows. Uh, so interestingly, in Scotland, the threshold's set at 80, uh, so they're slightly lower. If you go further afield in Australia, their screening level set at 20. And it's all about capacity, isn't it? And if, it is. If we get a fit positive result, is there a significance of how positive it is, i.e. 120 versus 240 results? Yeah, essentially it's a sliding scale. So the pathways, uh, cancer pathways are all quite number-based and quite statistically based. So if your positive predictive value goes over 3%, that's the level at which a two-week referral pathway comes into action. And basically, the higher your FIT score, the higher your positive predictive value. Okay, so we will still be missing 3% of patients with this cutoff level, but 97% of patients will be captured. And the higher the FIT result, the more likely they are to have cancer. Yes, and I think it's quite important in our when we're discussing with patients that we get our terminology right because it will uh, mitigate some potential medico-legal uh, naughtiness. Uh, so if we use the words, there are no signs of cancer, rather than saying you haven't got cancer, I think that is probably the right nuance to broadcast, as it were. Absolutely, and documenting in that capacity as well is important. Yeah, because realistically, the only way you could categorically say that someone didn't have cancer would be to do a post-mortem and look at every tissue under the microscope, which Absolutely. is obviously not terribly helpful. Absolutely. So the colorectal pathways have changed. Can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, so we've got the, the standard two-week wait pathway, which we're all familiar with, and that is essentially for those who are fit positive. So you'll probably all be aware that it's now a requirement to have a fit test prior to a two-week referral pathway. Uh, and if you are if your fit level is over 10, then that goes down that particular pathway. If it's less than 10, we now have the symptomatic but fit less than 10 pathways, <clears throat> which are technically in an interim stage, but that is likely to become a permanent pathway and is there for those symptomatic patients, but they are fit less than 10, so fit negative, and they will still be seen and assessed, but not with the urgency of the over 10, over fit 10 pathway. Thank you. I think we're going to come back to results again in a bit. I just want to touch a bit more about when to request a fit test for symptomatic situations. Um, so if someone has had a change in bowel habit and has got PR bleeding, for example, what would you advise them about a fit test? So surprisingly, fit still has a, a part to play in those patients with a history of rectal bleeding. Uh, all the information we need to give up those patients is that when they're doing the sampling, they actually sample a bit of poo that isn't covered in blood. So a non-bloody bit of poo, uh, because surprisingly, that may still be fit negative because the blood is so uh, proximal uh, to the loo, as it were. So low, very lower bowel. 
Uh, so you can get really low rectal bleeding and be fit negative. Because I think that will cover a lot of patients potentially with constipation and bleeding hemorrhoids, for example, and yeah. with <clears throat> rectal examination and a discussion, a fit negative would be quite reassuring in that situation. Reassuring, but they still do need to be referred for assessments. And that's generally what is happening is they're getting a routine sigmoidoscopy, uh, really just to check that there are no other lower bowel lesions, but really important that we're still doing the DREs. Absolutely. And the routine assessment um, would be with regards to if they've got chronic bleeding hemorrhoids, um, the with with regards to the referral, would you still want to refer those for a routine sigmoidoscopy? Ab absolutely, uh, and unless they've had a, a, a previous investigation within, uh, and most people are saying six months. Uh, so, if they've had a sigmoidoscopy or colonoscopy within six months, you probably don't need to do further investigations. But if they're colonoscopy or sigmoidoscopy is more than six months, you probably need to be referring either for advice and guidance or down the uh, the fit less than 10 pathway. Thank you. And can you talk a bit about change in bowel habits? Yeah, so change in bowel habits, uh, an important symptom, but also important to realise that it's not bowel specific. So actually quite a lot of other systemic conditions will cause a change in bowel habit ranging from ovarian problems, uh, endometriosis can do it, ovarian cancer, obviously, but even things like thyroid issues, as we're probably aware, that can also have an impact on change in bowel habits. Uh, but it is important with any patient with a change in bowel habit to do the FIT test as part of their workup. Thank you. And can you talk about FIT tests in the context of an acute infection? Yeah, so history is always the, the sort of the first step, as it were, back to our sort of medical student indoctrinated pattern of thinking. So a good history, always really important, uh, particularly in the, the younger patients where the risk of bowel cancer is less with younger age. Uh, infection is probably going to be the highest uh, cause in the differential diagnosis league table. Uh, so important to investigate that. It's a very good example, however, where a negative result actually is effectively a positive result. So if you're thinking it might be infective, you're going to be doing a stool sample, maybe if they've had symptoms for a week or more, uh, doing your stool sample, it comes back as negative. That really is a positive result because you don't have an explanation for their, their diarrhea. And in that situation, reach for your FIT request form. And can you talk about FIT tests in the contents of patients taking iron tablet supplementation? Yeah, so in that scenario, the iron tablets don't uh, have any interaction on the test itself. Uh, obviously, the we're back to the history. So if the iron is being used for obviously iron deficiency anemia, if they've been fully evaluated, so if they've been through the IDA pathway, they will probably have been an endoscope from both ends and you can be fairly reassured with those outcomes. Although always worth bearing in mind that even the colonoscopy 
has about a 3% false negative rate. So about 3% of uh, those who do have a, a bowel cancer, the colonoscopy will not find it. So if your instinct is that this patient's in front of you, you're still really worried about them, do not be completely reassured by a so-called normal colonoscopy result. Uh, and the time frame for re-referral would be three to six months. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. So if symptoms aren't settling, and this is where safety nursing is so important. And again, that will be tailored for your patient as to where they are in the sort of anxiety index. Uh, but I think if we can get across the message that no investigation is absolutely foolproof, and that if your symptoms are not settling or if you're developing new symptoms, please let us know is a very good line to take. And as always, really important to have a record of your safety nursing advice, medico-legally. Thank you. And moving on to interpretation of the results, can you talk a bit about a positive result and what that means? So a positive result basically means that somewhere in the bowel uh, there is some bleeding and there is some heme being released into the bowel and that is then being detected and that can be for essentially from any condition that could cause bleeding within the bowel so it ranges from cancer through to the inflammatory bowel conditions and some of the benign sort of adenomas as well. And is it ever okay not to refer a fit positive patient? I think in the context, so very frail, if you've got a, a patient who would not be a candidate for investigation and then potentially quite significant surgery. Uh, so if your WHO performance index is a sort of a four or a five after discussion with the patient and the family, uh, there, there will be scenarios where you have a very high fit result, but you decide it's not in the patient's best interest to pursue that further. Uh, certainly, I've had patients who've had advanced dementia where the family have felt that it's not appropriate to refer that patient onwards. Others want to know the diagnosis so that they have some idea of the prognosis. So very much tailored for the particular scenario of the patient. And if we refer them down the two-week wait pathway, would that be accessing direct colonoscopy or do they have any other um, doctor input as to the cause if the colonoscopy is negative? Yeah. So there is some variability across our patch and across uh, the, our listeners. Uh, so some areas will have a straight-to-test strategy and quite important that you're aware of how your local pathway works. Uh, but yes, absolutely, that some will not see a clinician before they go straight to colonoscopy. And it's for that reason that uh, the sort of the frailty index and the further information that you give in the referral form is so important. And can you talk a bit about interpreting a negative result? Yeah, so a, a negative fit, as we've mentioned, is not completely uh, a ruling out result. So what we know from the data is that overall, uh, a negative fit result is probably that the specificity is around about between 97 and 99%. Uh, but if you 
flip the statistics around, there are about one in 10 colorectal cancers that will be FIT negative. So it's very important to safety net. As we've mentioned earlier, there is no test that is 100% watertight. So if you're still concerned about the patient, uh, the FIT negative pathway is a very important one to be aware of so that the patients will ultimately be evaluated. And to contextualise that, is that because one in 10 bowel cancers don't bleed? That is the supposition. And uh, not we do know that not all bowel cancers will be releasing blood. Uh, but I think that that is part of the explanation that the test itself is actually pretty reliable. So if there is human heme there, it will detect it. And... So my understanding is that you need to contextualise it as well. And on the Cancer Alliance website, it very clearly states that a patient with a fit haemoglobin of less than 10, and you need to have that in the context of a normal full blood count and no ongoing clinical concerns. Those are the ones you're reassured about. Yeah, so you can narrow the odds of missing a, a cancer by the good history, the examination, say that if there's no mass and no rectal mass felt on DRE and they are, they have no iron deficiency and no anemia, you can be that sort of that one in 10 is probably reduced, but it doesn't go to zero. So you still need to be cognizant that if they are still symptomatic, that they do need further investigations, but not with the urgency that you might have done if they were fit positive. So should we be referring all these people to the interim fit negative pathway, or can we follow up and safety net in primary care? So it, it largely, so if with the NG12, which is the uh, NICE guidance that came out in 2015, how that has developed with our understanding of FIT as that's been rolled out, is that if you have what would previously have been a two-week wait qualifying scenario, but they're FIT negative, they should be going down the FIT negative route. If, however, they're patients who were hadn't quite tipped into that category of being uh, qualifying, if we, if we use that word, qualifying for that two-week wait colorectal pathway, and they're fit negative, that is the scenario where it's reasonable to safety net and possibly repeat the fit maybe six weeks later. Thank you. I think that's really useful because I think we don't want to over-worry and over-refer all our patients. And there are some people that we might be doing the fit test for further confirmation of our low clinical suspicion. So that's useful to know that we don't need to refer everyone, but we have that pathway there to refer people if yeah. we've got a high clinical suspicion. And, and I think the uh, we as GPs, we have been trained to manage risk. And even with, as we mentioned earlier, with the referral threshold for these two weight pathways being 3%, if someone effectively has a, a cancer risk of maybe 1.5%, we instinctively would be safety netting and giving them advice and saying, if you develop any of these symptoms, we really want to see you again and give that patient license to come back to us. Uh, because I think there is, particularly with the pressure the system is under, uh, patients are really aware of that. And there are sort of, some of them are 
really cognizant of not trying to waste our time, uh, but really important that they are given license to come back if their symptoms aren't settling. And, uh, and there is lots of really useful resources on the Wessex Cancer Alliance website, which I've linked to an AccuRx um, link for our practice, which I can send out to patients if, for example, they have a positive or a negative result with further information about the context of that. Yeah. Yeah. And really, really helpful resource there. And certainly if uh, listeners do have a, a, a moment, really good to log on to that because it is a fantastic resource and has a lot of really helpful patient information leaflets, as do the Macmillan and the Cancer Research UK websites. They're really helpful, both for clinicians and patients alike. And you can just search Wessex Cancer Alliance and Fit Test and it will come up. Absolutely. So thank you. I think that concludes the fit aspect. That was a really useful overview and sort of helps contextualise the results and pathways as they're changing and developing. Um, can you tell us a bit about your other role within the cancer diagnostic area? Yeah. So in the Wessex patch, we now have our version of a rapid diagnostic centre and we are actually called the Rapid Investigation Service. And it's a remote service that covers the entire Wessex patch. And we receive referrals from GPs where there is a concern that the patient might have cancer, but it's not clear which speciality to refer to and which two-week weight pathway to refer down. So a lot of our patients will have weight loss or fatigue uh, or very non-site specific symptoms and we will gladly receive those referrals. The majority of our referrals will then do a chest, abdo, pelvis CT scan. And for those patients we have received over the two years we've now been operating, about 5% of them we do find a cancer. In about another 30%, we find a non-cancer significant diagnosis. And in both those scenarios, we would make that onward referral and just keep the GP team in the loop. Uh, for about two thirds, we find no structural change or cause for their symptoms. And then uh, it's back to the GP for symptomatic treatment. I think that's a really useful service. And if I'm right in remembering, you offer investigations local to the patient. Is that correct? Abs absolutely. So it was a real revelation having taken on the role that actually it is completely possible to have ICE access to more than one hospital. Uh, when I was at the Whiteley surgery near Fareham, I was repeatedly, well, we were repeatedly told that we could only have ICE access to the QA system and we had to get paper printouts for those patients who'd had tests done at Southampton. But actually, it's very clear that you can have ICE access to any number of hospitals. And we have the privilege of having uh, diagnostic and investigation access to all the trusts across the whole Wessex footplate. So it's great having the rapid investigation service. And for me as a GP, I, the advantage is that you report back on the findings as well, because some of us do have access to CT scans, but it's how we manage that and do the onward referral and manage patient expectation and advice. So I think the rapid investigation service is relatively new, but is very important in 
the patients that we're not quite sure of what's going on yeah. with further investigation. Can you just advise what tests you would like us to do before we refer to that service? So it's basically all the tests that would reveal a site-specific pathway. So it's full blood count, biochemistry, TFTs, thyroid function tests, liver function tests. Really important for the ladies that they have a CA125, and we might want to just talk about that briefly in a minute, uh, and for the gents, PSA. Uh, for gentlemen under 40, the PSA is probably not quite so relevant, but still useful to have. And then if it's appropriate, you may do a chest X-ray, but that's not an obligatory test. Uh, but other than that, those blood tests are really useful. Really important to iterate it is a completely remote service. So if you can give a little bit of a narrative on the referral form, that's really helpful. And any positive examination findings, again, really helpful because we rely on your stethoscope and your intuition and the results you've kindly ordered for us for us to do the full holistic assessment of the patient and to work out what investigations are appropriate. And I think it is all quite self-explanatory when you bring up the rapid investigation service referral form on e-referral service. It yeah. explicitly advises what tests to do before referral and will give an overview of, of um, what the patient path is. Is that right? That's absolutely right. There, there is work in progress for the ICE forms to have one box that you will tick for a rapid investigation service template, which will then populate all the blood tests you need to be doing. So that's a work in progress. I think it on the Isle of Wight, it is up and running. But in the other patches, we're just trying to persuade those who need persuading that this will be a really helpful uh, addition to the ICE uh, interface. And just for clarity, the rapid investigation service pathway is different to the cancer of unknown primary pathway. Can yeah, absolutely. So, so just to explain that a bit, a cancer, the CUP pathway, the cancer of unknown primary, that is where you have perhaps done x-rays and they've come back to say there are clear signs of metastases, but we have found no primary. That is where that should then be routed to the cancer unknown primary pathway. The rapid investigation service is where you, the clinician, feel that there may well be a cancer, but you don't know which speciality and which two-week wait pathway to refer down because there are no site-specific either history, findings, or investigations that would help in that way but you're still worried there might be a cancer. What we know is that the GP gut sense or sixth sense, or whatever you want to call it, is actually quite predictive. And interestingly, the predictive value of that feeling increases with length of service. Thank you. And just to complete our discussion, I just wanted you to touch for the last couple of minutes on false negative tests? Mm, really important. So if we go through a number of tests, false negatives are, the, I guess, a real trap for us in primary care. So if we go through the chest X-rays have between a 20 and 25% false negative rate. So with any of these, if you're still concerned, you should go that next step to the next investigation or next referral. Uh, 
even PSA, 16% of prostate cancers will be PSA normal. Uh, CA125, it's around about the 15, 16% of ovarian cancers will be CA125 normal. And as we've mentioned earlier, for the FIT test, it's actually the least bad of all the above. Uh, that comes in at about 10% of colorectal cancers will be FIT negative. So they're good as far as they go, but they are not excluding a cancer diagnosis confidently. Well, that's an amazing overview of an awful lot in a short space of time. So thank you so much for your expertise, Richard. I think that's contextualised quite a lot of the information that is sort of changing and very important that we get the right pathways and we interpret the data correctly for our patients. So thank you for your expertise. I have uploaded the Wessex Cancer Alliance link to my desktop as a easy access. I've got AccuRx links for patient information regarding fit positive and fit negative results. And I've had a look at the Wessex Cancer Alliance website, which has got an awful lot of information covering the basics. So thank you very much. And um, well, thank you. And I, I think just as a sort of a, a final sign off, it, primary care is doing an absolutely amazing job at the moment. And despite all the pressures, cancers are being diagnosed earlier than they have ever been. The proportion of cancers being diagnosed at early stage is the greatest it's ever been. And as the National Director of Cancer has uttered, if you have the misfortune to be diagnosed with cancer, there has never been a better time to have that diagnosis than now. So there is a positive message. The secular media is not interested in it, uh, but that good message is out there. So well done to one and all. That's great. Thank you, Richard. Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice.